In this edition of Hoopsology, we welcome radio play-by-play commentator for the Toronto Raptors, Eric Smith. Since their title win, the Raptors have been one of the most compelling teams in the NBA. And Eric explains how the team is adapting, playing in front of home fans again, and having their star player back in the lineup, Pascal Siakam. We also talk about the Raptors' rookie sensation, Scotty Barnes, and Drake. Now enjoy this interview with Eric Smith. He is the radio play-by-play commentator for the Toronto Raptors. We welcome Eric Smith onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Eric? I'm good. How you doing? Doing really well. Thanks for joining me. And I'm really been looking forward to this interview because the Toronto Raptors, I think, are one of the most intriguing teams in the NBA just due to just the whirlwind that they've been on the past couple of seasons. So I guess my first question to you before we kind of hop into Pascal Siakam and then the Raptors six and five record, is this the overall state of the team just, you know, playing in their home arena? What has been the vibe like this season? You know, I think a lot of fans have labeled the Raptors last season, the Tampa Bay Raptors. What is it like just being back in Toronto, back in front of the home fans? What's kind of the vibe like this season? Well, I, I can tell you off the bat that nobody in Toronto or in Canada was adopting Tampa Bay Raptors. <laughs> I bet. So, um, it, and and it was it was it was kind of a slap for a lot of the fans, sure. no doubt. And listen, I, with with no disrespect intended to the to the city of Tampa and to the you know to the people and the fans down there, as as you know the the city and uh, you know Amelie Arena, all of the people involved certainly stepped up and helped uh, you know the Raptors and helped the NBA and helped what was uh, you know just a, an awful situation which we're still trying to navigate through obviously globally. Sure. Um, so I don't mean to sound disingenuous or 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 unappreciative of the way that Tampa stepped up, but at the end of the day, it wasn't Toronto. And uh, you know trying to put bias aside, I think uh, you would probably find this out from many of the other guests you've had on your show. And if you've had a chance maybe to experience Toronto yourself or if any of your viewers and listeners have, uh, I would argue, again, bias aside, that it's probably a top five market in the league in terms of the uh, fan noise within the arena and how uh, Scotiabank Arena, previously Air Canada Centre, is one of the most difficult places to play in. And the Raptors' home record, up until this season, it seems, uh, has been one of the best in the league for a long time. And that speaks to that home crowd uh, and home court advantage uh, that the Raptors have. So that was certainly missing last year. And then just trying to navigate through everything, to be honest with you, Justin, you know, you look back to when uh, I, you know, I flew home with the team in March of 2020 uh, from the game against the Utah Jazz. And uh, that was the last time until, you know, just a few weeks ago when the Raptors began the season that Toronto had been at home. So 19 months away from the bubble restart to an entire season south of the border, not in Canada and not in Toronto to now finally, here we are, uh, as they say, 19 months later, you know, back in Toronto training camp opening. And even as training camp was opening and, and I believe even as the preseason was starting, there was still chatter with the local provincial government in Ontario, uh, let alone the, as I say, the local government in Toronto and then the federal government in Canada trying to determine uh, how many fans would actually be allowed because the Toronto Blue Jays went through uh, fan restrictions over the course of the baseball season when they actually were back in Toronto. Because if you recall, they also started right. the baseball season down in Florida. Then they went to Buffalo. Then they finally came back to Toronto. And I believe I, I, I might be wrong with this number, but I think it was 32 or 36. I know for sure it was under 40 games that the Blue Jays actually ended up playing in their home field at Rogers center and not, as I say, in Florida or Buffalo. And then even in finally coming home to only have 25% capacity of fans. 
then 50% capacity, and then it increased a little bit more before the end of the season. So as the Raptors were starting camp, there was still talk about what sort of restrictions might be on the fans. I can even tell you as a broadcaster, I'm also a season seat holder, and, and, I, and I, pay, I pay for my seats, not part of any deal. I pay for my seats. And I didn't know right up until the start of the season, am I getting half the games? Am I getting all the games? Am I getting 25% of the games? And, and if it isn't 100%, how are you determining which games I get and who, which friends and family thus am I going to be able to ask to go to games and who wants tickets and whatnot? And then as it turned out, you know, luckily the numbers, um, you know, in terms of COVID and cases and whatever else in Canada has been uh, far more cautious than I think most of the states have been. Uh, we can sit here and argue whether that's the right philosophy or wrong philosophy, but Canada has certainly been uh, far safer with, um, you know, their their restrictions and protocols and everything else, whereas it's kind of been open season at most sporting events in the U.S. for quite some time now. Um, and that was just decided upon literally a week or two before the NBA season started that it would be full capacity. So in a very long-winded way to add it all together and, and get back to answering your question, it was a bizarro, bizarro, almost two years. As I say again, reference for the third or fourth time, 19 months away. And to finally come back home to your home floor, to your home practice facility, to a full stadium, full arena at 100% capacity, it has been a sight for sore eyes. It has certainly been a, a, a welcomed, welcomed return for the fans, for the team, for for the, the, the city, for businesses and restaurants and bars around the area, for, for everybody involved to not have the Raptors uh, for, as I say, almost two full years. It, it's, it's just been, you know, a, 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 um, a very pleasant experience, to, to say the least. So what is the state of this team in regards to the elements that you mentioned and also Pascal Siakam returning, uh, even though the Raptors didn't get the win against the Nets? I think it, it was like a really a feel-good story to, to see Siakam back out there. And just with all the elements happening, the Raptors being 6-5, and five, they're still in the mix with just the NBA as a whole really trying to really figure itself out. I feel like there's really – no super dominant team, even though the you know the Warriors only have one loss. It, it still seems like everybody has you know huge weaknesses. It feels like everybody's still in the mix, except for a very few teams. So I guess my question is: is what is the state of the Raptors going into kind of the the tough part of their schedule? Is there a sense of optimism? Um, How is the team going to adjust their lineup with Pascal coming back? And also, like you mentioned, the, the, the dynamic changing from like having no fans to having you know full capacity. How has that team? How's the Raptors adjusted to all that? Well, as I was just talking about this very thing earlier this morning. I, I do a radio show in Toronto uh, in the morning for a couple of hours, and we had uh, former NBA or NBA champ uh, Celtics analyst Brian Scalabrini on the air with us, and we were talking about the parity that seems to exist in the league right now yeah. uh, for the most part, outside of maybe the 9-1 and one Warriors and, and how they're running roughshod right now through the first 10 games. Um, I, I think from a, a Toronto-specific perspective, I think they're still trying to figure themselves out on, on a number of fronts. Um, you know, if we go back to the 2019 championship, there are only four players on this team from that championship squad. And, and arguably two of the four players uh, really only played in that championship run. Chris Boucher was a depth guy who barely saw the floor at that time for the Raptors. Uh, and, and OG Ananobi was sidelined trying to come back from uh, an appendectomy. So he wasn't even a part of it. And he might be arguably Toronto's best player right now. Uh, and, and, a, and a guy who's in line potentially for most improved player this year. Uh, and again, he wasn't even part of it. So Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam being the, the other two. Um, you know, you follow up the, the championship year 
where the Raptors had, you know, again, one of the top two, three records in the league and, and were among the best of the best and then fell short in the second round against Boston, uh, bowing out in game seven. And then last year, um, you know, fought themselves back to 500 after a slow start in Tampa, seemed to finally get things on track. And here we are getting around late January, February, and maybe this team's kind of putting it together and they can, you know, make a little bit of noise towards the postseason, maybe get one of those final playoff spots. And boom, COVID hit and it wreaked havoc with this team. You know, from, from Van Vliet to Siakam to Ananobi to Nick Nurse, the coaching staff. I mean, seemed like everybody damn near got the thing at some point and guys were gone for lengthy, lengthy stretches. And it just completely derailed uh, the season for the Raptors. Hence the reason uh, the record was what it was last year. Uh, and it obviously turned out to the Raptors' benefit that they ultimately landed a top five pick, got the number four pick. Might have surprised the world to some extent by, uh, you know, not going after Suggs and taking Scotty Barnes and Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster certainly look like geniuses right now. Not that Suggs has been bad, but Barnes has been outstanding. And you start thinking a way that this team has now been pieced together, as I reference again, just, you know, two and a half years removed from the championship with only four guys remaining. That's a lot of changes on this roster. But, you know, a Norm Powell trade that turned into, uh, you know, that turned into Gary Trent Jr. And then the acquisition of Precious Achua and Goran Dragic in the, in the Kyle Lowry trade in the offseason with the drafting of Scotty Barnes. Delano Banton, a second round pick going 46th who is, I would argue, playing like a guy that's a, a 16th or a 26th pick right now, not a 46th, and he's a primary dude in the rotation right now. So this team's, I, I think, kind of making its mark on, on defense, on energy, on athleticism, on versatility. They've got, you know, seven, eight guys that are anywhere from 6'7 to 6'9 with like 7'5 seven foot, seven foot wingspans, so they can guard multiple positions. They're young. I believe they're the sixth, seventh youngest team in the league. So I think it's going to take time to truly know what they ultimately are, what they can be. But I can tell you right now that I think they will be a team that is a very hard out on most nights. Uh, if for no other reason than the way they are coached and the way that Nick Nurse runs things, he is going to have them prepped and ready for every game. And they are not going to be a team, I think, that's going to be an easy walkover on most nights. Can you provide any insight into Pascal Siakam's return? Just in terms of from a from a personal aspect, you know, returning to basketball. Um, just since everything just you know was we just wasn't just hurt, the world just turned upside down as well. So yeah. how is that road back for him? I know despite what the stats say, it had to be as a huge accomplishment, just him getting back on the court. What was kind of his personal feelings like and what is kind of his trajectory in terms of when he'll feel like he's himself again? Does he have like a certain uh, timeline regarding that? Yeah, he hasn't he hasn't given a personal timeline in terms of when he expects to feel 100 percent, but uh, or or be at 100 percent in terms of his production. He's only been back for one game. Sure. Uh, and certainly this stretch of games coming up for the Raptors will be, uh, uh, you know, quite the stiff test and a big test for him personally, let alone for the team. Uh, Toronto's entering a, a stretch right now where they only have one home game in their next nine. So they're on the road for two straight Boston Philly on the back-to-back -back Wednesday, Thursday, they're back home against Detroit on Saturday. Then they go on a six game road trip wow. that starts West and then ultimately makes it way back to Memphis and then to Indiana before they finally come back home. So eight of the next nine on the road, this might give a greater sense of what this team ultimately is because at that point we'll be hitting right around uh, the, the, the 20 game mark and we'll be a quarter of the way into the season. Uh, and currently the Raptors are undefeated on the road, which is crazy to think about. They're two and five at home. They're four and oh on the road. So it's usually be the, the you know, the, maybe the flip of that. Um, I think for Siakam, it's been a, a tough road for him 
mentally as much as it has been physically for the last year and a half. And I'm kind of paraphrasing his words a little bit, but he has said um, something similar even in recent days uh, where he talked about uh, being very emotional when he found out that he was going to have to have shoulder surgery. And he admitted that he cried. Uh, and he said it was the, the last time he remembered crying was when his father died. And he's always spoken uh, very passionately and, and, and very sort of stoically and, and, and spiritually about the, the passing of his father and how much his dad meant to him and his dad looking down on him watching and, and the pride at which he plays with the, the, the Siakam name on his back because of his dad. So to reference that in the same sentence or, or in an analogy about how upset he was, how emotional he was about having to have surgery, I think that says something about how much that injury and um, the impact as the, of the resulting surgery and thus the rehab and the road back, how much that meant to him and was going to impact him. So uh, I thought that was pretty special that he um, opened up about that and acknowledged that. Um, and I think it's, it's a case for Pascal where, you know, the, the Raptors, and I don't want to sound cliche here, but the Raptors, like many teams, I think, across sports have kind of always been of the opinion that you don't come back until you're 100%. And once you come back at 100%, then there aren't really many excuses. Like, yeah, it's going to take you time to get your game legs and to get your wind and, and get your, you know, get kind of back to that true conditioning. But at the end of the day, I don't think the leash is going to be very long. And I don't think Pascal wants that leash to be very long. He expects that if he's back, he's ready to go and re he's ready to make an impact. And I think he'll have every opportunity to, to do so, especially on this team, because I think the way the Raptors are constructed now, without necessarily having that one sort of go-to guy um, I think there are a couple of guys now whether it's Van Vliet whether it's Ananobi whether it's Siakam whether it's hopefully Scotty Barnes emerging as time goes on Gary Trent Jr. I think they're a team that can be carried by one or two different guys every night not just we got to dump it into Pascal we got to dump it into Pascal he needs to get his touches or we've got to give it to OG he needs to score 20 30 every night or we can't win I think this is a team that's built on uh, being a club that needs to share the ball and have a lot of guys get involved because they're going to beat you with the collective unit, not just with one guy taking over. Um, you mentioned Scotty Barnes real quickly. How has he adjusted, you know, in his rookie season, um, acclimating, you know, you mentioned on the court, but off the court as well, you know, he's, you know, traveling, you know, to a, a foreign country, just, I know, heard, you know, through all the years, I'm sure it's changed now just due to, just to change your perception with Toronto um, basketball, but how has that been as him, you know, you know, playing in Canada, him adjusting, has he, you know, had any trouble acclimating or is this just fit right in from maybe an off-court and on-court perspective as well? No, that, I, I think he's, I think he's fitting quite well. And, I, and I'll, I'll say this to you as well, Justin. And, and listen, I, I promise you, I, I know we haven't, we haven't met in person or anything. I'm not, I'm not taking this personal. I'm just, again, trying to hopefully help educate some sure, of the, the viewers and, and, and listeners and whatnot. I would hope, I would hope, and listen, I, listen, I, I haven't seen every city, every state in, in the U.S., uh, but, you know, through my travels in the NBA for almost 20 years, I've been to all the NBA markets, and I've, I've traveled personally to the U.S. Man, we are one continent. We simply share a, a line that goes across, <laughs> right? We are, we are, and I don't want to sound too philosophical here, but there is not much, you know, difference between the United States and Canada at the end of the day, it literally is a line that's drawn across, you know, some, some, you know, some piece of land, you know, we're not even like separated by water or anything. We share the same, the same geography. So the whole idea, the whole concept of foreign country and whatnot, this is not being sent over to go play basketball in, 
in Lithuania or Spain, and not that there's anything wrong with those places. This is this is you're still at at worst at worst from Toronto to LA, a four and a half five hour uh, flight away from being home uh, with family. You have to show a passport at the border. Really, there is no major hassle. There is no major difference. And I would also argue that a team that's been in the league for almost 30 years now, I would hope that the uh, old and I thought tired and bogus chatter about the food and the people and the culture and the education, that is complete BS, to be frank. So putting that all aside, Scotty Barnes has fit in just fine. In fact, he is an instant fan favorite already. I mean, to his credit, he, from day one, was already out on the streets, taking selfies with the fans, walking around downtown Toronto, walking around the suburbs, going into the restaurants, trying to find out about the culture and the spots to hit and the people and learning some of the terminology and phraseology that are connected with Toronto and with Canada. And he's the other night he's posing for pictures after the game wearing a Team Canada hockey jersey and, you know, being at Maple Leaf games and 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 just, you know, interacting with fans and signing the autographs and you name it, being active, like I say, in the community with charitable events and whatnot. And you saw the excitement that was on his face and in his dance moves and everything else on draft night when he was selected. Uh, and I would I would I would tell your viewers and listeners to go out and, uh, you know, search out YouTube for Masai Ujiri and the Raptors front office for their reactions themselves from their war room on draft night when Scotty Barnes was selected, how excited they were, almost like proud parents seeing his excitement and, and, and kind of, you know, uh, bringing that on themselves, how giddy they were to have him coming into the mix. So he has been uh, unbelievable and it's been a seamless transition for him coming to the team and into the community and everything else. And that's the off the floor. On the floor, I think he's been uh, far better than many people would have expected or anticipated. And again, we're only 11 games in. He missed two for injury. So he's basically nine, 10 games into a rookie campaign. But I think he looks far better offensively than what even I expected him to be. The mid-range game, not too bad at all. Certainly great at attacking the rim and, and with his athleticism. Uh, he's been a great rebounder. Uh, solid, uh, you know, in terms of getting to pass lanes, defecting passes and whatnot. And clearly as a defender one-on-one, you know, he's been guarding some of the top guys in the league already for whether it be, you know, picking up Jason Tatum one night or Kevin Durant the next night or, or trying to slow down DeMar DeRozan or, or Zach Levine, whoever it may be, he's been right there night in, night out and already making a name. And I don't know if you saw some of the comments about uh, about Scotty Barnes that came from Kevin Durant just a couple of nights ago after that loss that the Raptors had to the Nets and, and Durant, and I'm paraphrasing, basically just saying like, man, this guy's only, what, 19, 20 years old? Like, wow, he's got an NBA body and, and he's got that, that mindset that you can tell certain guys, you know, have it, many guys don't. And you can tell he's already got that mental game, that mindset that's going to set him apart from other people. Eric, I want to ask you, and this might be um, an out of bounds question, but you know, speaking for myself, just you know, being a fan of watching the NBA every night, so, um, talking to some journalists, they brought this to my attention. I'm just wondering if there's any credence to this at all. And basically, they, they've mentioned the observation that players have had to adjust with the fans being back in the arena in terms of sidelines, and that might be affecting their performance somewhat in terms of when they're playing in the bubble or with limited capacity. I don't know. There's a lot more freedom for them to move around the court, and as a result, offensive efficiency went up. Is there any kind of truth to this from what you observed so far, or 
or do you think that's kind of like you know players can adjust in any kind of different environment and what's going on? So you kind of uh, that at yeah, all. yeah. You know, I, I'll be honest, I hadn't really thought about it. Um, now that you bring it up, I, I mean, I, I, best answer I can have for you is I don't know. I mean, how how do we really you know quantify sure. that? Um, I would argue that that argument or that that suggestion might have carried a little bit more clout last season as you truly were adjusting from bubble to arenas. And again, I know that there were some slower releases of fans, capacity limits, ultimately making your way back to full capacity, um, you know, in the early stages, mid stages, and then end stages of last season. Um, but I think for the most part, most arenas had fans. Most arenas ultimately had all fans or at least the ability to have all fans or damn close to it by the end of last season. So I would think that by the time this year uh, rolled around, you've kind of adjusted by then to the bubble experience where you either had a couple of weeks or a couple of months in the bubble with no fans, no sight lines, no whatever. So I got to think it's a little bit different. I, I, to me, I'll tell you just from my own, not that you asked, but my own personal experience. And I wonder sure. if this... I wonder if this maybe sort of relates to or ties into what the players are thinking or feeling is for me, not having been down in Tampa last year and calling the games remotely from, from Toronto, you know, um, I've found it uh, mentally not tough, but challenging or just different. And, and, and you've got to quickly become comfortable again with, man, I've barely done anything in 19 months. I've been kind of around, my family and a handful of people uh, at the studios when we're broadcasting games, or if I choose to go out to a restaurant or do some shopping and okay, masks are on or, or, or you're keeping your space and your distance and whatever else, but to suddenly just go from, from no team in town for 19 months to boom, you're in an arena with 20,000 people and your mask is off and you're calling a game and then the fans are right on top of you again, just like anything else. That to me has been the adjustment. And I wonder for some of the Raptors, Going from Tampa, where yes, fans were allowed, but not as rabid, as crazy, as full as it is in Toronto, and just kind of doing that experience of being in the city and then traveling and hopping across the border and hopscotching all over the the you know North America and 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 everything that goes with it. Um, no matter what city you're in, whether it's the whether it's the Denver Nuggets or whether it's the Toronto Raptors or or whomever it is, just kind of dealing with what we we're all dealing with, still trying to navigate through what we hope is the later stages slash end of please God end of the pandemic and just kind of, you know, getting things normal again and being comfortable with things being normal again and navigating your way through that. Um, and I think that's maybe more of the challenge of the everyday game to game. Like, is it okay to talk to this fan? Sure. Is it okay to sign this autograph? Can I talk to this member of the media? Should I be doing this interview from a foot away or does it still have to be six feet away? You know, am I comfortable with the fans that are sitting in those courtside seats and some have masks on and some don't have masks on and are they tested and do you have to be double vaccinated? Am I like, I think that weighs more than, you know, the stands are full when I'm going up for a three and suddenly I don't have empty stands. I've got multicolored shirts and, and you know what I mean? Like to me, that would weigh more than the sight lines and whatnot that these guys have been used to for, for years and some of them even, you know, decades of basketball. Yeah, that makes sense. And also it's such a fluid situation. The the guidelines keep changing. There's variants. It's just like there's nothing really consistent. And so it just gets, you know, very frustrating. So hopefully, yeah. like you said, we're we're headed towards the the 
you know, in a stretch of this whole thing. Um, I want to ask you, Eric, and I'm sure you get this question all the time, but I'm just curious since you actually, you, know, you live in Toronto, you can kind of bring our audience kind of, you know, specifically into kind of the, the Raptors fandom. I want to talk to you about Drake and what he means to, to, to Raptors. And not only from like, you know, from a, you know, surface level standpoint, but specifically him as a basketball fan, because he is a, a hardcore fan of not only Raptors, but as a game of basketball in general, what has he mean in terms of his affiliation to the Raptors as a whole, in terms of just OVO, just the jerseys, just him court psych. He just bring us into what does he, what, what relationship does he have to the Raptors compared to like, you know, other celebrities within the NBA, once they just buy courtside tickets and then they go home. I mean, it seems yeah. like Drake has a special, special connection um, with this Raptors team. I'm just interested in your take. You just bring us into what that dynamic is like. Well, he's, he's, you know, in, in some senses, when I say he's on the payroll, I don't think he actually is being paid. In fact, I'm 99.99% sure he's not being paid, but he actually is a global ambassador for the team, like recognized by the team when they, when they announce this sort of, you know, whether it's a, a token role or or um, uh, token moniker, uh, title, whatever, they actually held a press conference to announce it and and had Drake there and Masai Ujiri's right there and, and introducing Drake and Drake stepping up to the mic and dealing with the media. So from that standpoint, he definitely is tied and affiliated with the team. I, mean, I, I believe more than any celebrity in the league from Jack Nicholson and the Lakers to anybody else. Um, but on top of all that, he has also put his money into it uh, for for the folks that don't know, the Raptors practice facility, which is uh, about, uh, I don't know, maybe five miles. I'm speaking in miles, not kilometers. I think about five miles away from uh, the Raptors arena downtown. It's actually uh, been renamed for, I believe, three years now, maybe longer, the OVO Athletic Center. So when it originally opened, it was the BioSteel practice facility. And when BioSteel's uh, sponsorship was up, Drake and his company OVO purchased the rights. So it's the OVO Athletic Center. So, I mean, this is a guy that's putting his money back into the team yeah. beyond just his courtside seats. And then I think the connection for him, uh, you know, I, I would assume you agree that basketball uh, has been for arguably decades, but, but certainly has been become over the years, not just about the game and what happens between the lines, but it's a culture. I think basketball is a, is a culture from whether it be from the shoes to the fashion to the music to everything that goes with the game and the experience of either going to a game or following the game, I think it truly is a culture. And Drake, uh, as arguably, you know, I, well, I was going to say arguably the best, certainly one of the best, one of the top rap hip-hop artists globally in the world, to have an affiliation with him, his brand, his company, his reach, his fan base, um, you know, I think that is uh, a synergy and a partnership that can only do good things for the Raptors and benefit the Raptors because there's Drake at a, and I'm just making this up at a concert in, in, in Tokyo wearing a Raptors Jersey, yeah. or there's Drake on Instagram or social media talking about Fred Van Vliet or Kawhi Leonard or Kyle Lowry or Pascal Siakam or Drake courtside, either doing something silly or something fun or something great. And it's all over ESPN and it's all over YouTube and it's, you know, splashed across all social media outlets and channels. That's only good, I think, for the Raptors and for that synergy and that tie that they have. So I think the uh, uh, like that, uh, again, that affiliation and that, that bond that they have, uh, I think, is is only good. And, and I think it will only continue on that path going forward. 
Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Just, I think, basketball culture and hip-hop, they're just so infused together. And I'm honestly shocked that other teams haven't really followed the same playbook because it just works so seamlessly. And I think there's other, there's not only, you know, hip-hop artists, but there are music artists that are really fans of the NBA. Just getting them more involved in the product besides just them having, like, a loose association. Because it's worked so great with with the, with the Raptors. Yeah. And it works so seamlessly. So I'm just well, I'm surprised we haven't really seen that more around I the think- league. I think one of the things that works for the the Raptors, and and I'm not saying that this wouldn't be the case with with other artists or other cities or whatnot, is, you know, people may think, you know, the skeptics or some skeptics might look and think that it's not genuine or whatever. But I can tell you it is genuine because I know this guy was a Raptor fan. I mean, Drake still lives in Toronto. His house is, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 miles, uh, you know, still kind of in the downtown core in in a little neighborhood. Uh, just removed from the downtown core. And I mean, it's obviously a palatial, you know, estate mansion type place, but he still lives in the city. Uh, he's still rabid, uh, not just about the Toronto Raptors as he was as a kid, but he's he's very much a Toronto man, period. So he's a Blue Jays fan. He's a he's a Maple Leafs fan. He's, he's uh, you know, getting into FC, anything Toronto, anything Canada, you know, he's wearing that flag literally and figuratively on his sleeve. And so I don't think it's forced. It's not like, it's, and again, I'm not implying that other teams would do this, but this is a guy that I think, like many Raptor fans, has grown up with this team. And he was there for 16 and 66. And, and, and he was there for, uh, you know, the games back at Skydome, you know, now known as Rogers Center, before they ultimately moved into their arenas. And, and he was there for, you know, fans booing uh, Damon Stoudemire and chanting for Ed O'Bannon back in the 95 draft and whatnot. So he's kind of lived through it all to, to see it through through the championship. So I think it's just, it's, it's a natural thing and it's a real thing. And I think that's what that, that sort of uh, genuine nature is what makes it work uh, for the Raptors. And, and I don't know if I'm sure there are, but I don't know if there are other um, people, whether they be, you know, whatever celebrities, actors, musicians, uh, you know, whatever, that have that type of tie, that type of fandom that is as uh, sort of, um, as I say, genuine and, and, and truly grown over years. Because again, Drake's not an old dude. So when he was a kid, this was his team and he's grown up with this team. So And now he is in a, a position uh, to be able to have this type of impact because of what he's ultimately become and clearly the, the money and the clout and the, the cachet that he has. Eric, I really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy guy. Thank you very much for just spending some time and talking to Raptors with us. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do the rest of the season. Key, please let our listeners and viewers know where they can find you on social media. And then um, please um, talk to our audience about your radio show, where they can find you doing the, their play-by-play and anything else you're working on as well. Well, yeah, I do the Raptors play-by-play on, on Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto. And uh, as, as I have a call coming in right now, hopefully you can't hear that, but uh, – <laughs> um, uh, folks can find me on all social media channels, whether it be Twitter, Instagram, and I don't really do a whole lot of TikTok, even though I'm on there, but Twitter, Instagram, uh, Eric double underscore. There's two underscores probably because I have a very plain name. A lot of Eric Smiths were taken. So Eric double underscore Smith. And if your, your audience is interested, it's not just a Raptor or Toronto specific show. We talk all sports. We talk all NBA as well. We're on every day from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern time. But you can catch the podcast anytime as well on Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you get your podcast. It's the Smith and Jones radio show. And if you follow me on Instagram or Twitter, you can find the link on there as well. So I appreciate you having me on. Appreciate you, Eric. Thank you very much. All the best. Thanks.